Sloppy Spoilers with your host, DT2. What's up, y'all? DT2 Comics Chat here. Coming at you with another episode of Sloppy Spoilers. We're continuing our review of the Riddick series. Today, we're going to be reviewing the third feature film entitled Shocker Riddick. And uh, you won't believe what some of us have to say. And by some of us, I mean me. All right, let me bring our calls on. Welcome to David Nemesis Howard. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm. I am looking forward to talking this movie, but I'm looking forward to hearing what everybody has to say. I will say right off the bat, this is one of, I think this is my favorite Riddick movie, but I do have my reasons, and I know some people are going to disagree with me, so I'm looking forward to getting into it. It's going to be a good discussion. Welcome to Steve, Shade Wing Sellers. Oh, hi. Um, I, I don't know. With this particular movie, I'm sort of uh, in the middle with the two of you. Um, I think that this was the weakest of the three Riddick films. Um, it, it's very much like uh, Pitch Black, The Apology is what I like to call it. Um, it seems to be structured in that sense. Um, but I don't hate it. I mean, there's a lot to like about it. So I think it should be fun to, to, to talk about how wildly different our opinions seem to be on this one. Welcome to Jeff, Dr. Fate Bracy. Normally, I'd say getting wet is a good thing. <laughs> but not in this case. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm kind of up here with Steve. Uh, I feel like this is the weakest movie in the series uh, because it, it feels mostly like a rehash, but it does give me enough interesting stuff in the first half of the film uh, that I I still like it. I, I don't hate it or anything like that, so I'm, I'm a little in the middle. It's not the best, but it's not the worst. And uh, given that this series is uh, not bad at all, mm -hmm. I'm still in. Okay, well, we'll kick it off with our general impressions and i give you mine and i'm going to throw it out to my co-host uh y'all know me y'all know i tend to be kind of extreme so you know i'm i'm not like the middle ground person you have to work really hard to get me like in the middle of anything and i don't understand why people like this film lord have mercy i can't even sit through the first 20 minutes of this film I don't, I don't understand what it's trying to add to the mythos that 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 monochrome kind of bronze, kind of neutral color that that permeates everything. Uh, the resetting of of a character that we already saw in a certain light. It's the same thing that did to Morpheus in Revolutions, and I, that didn't make any sense to me. The only one thing I did like about this film was the dog. Mm -hmm. the, the dog, sorry, okay, I liked him because I'm a dog lover. I'm like, okay, you're a good boy. I got you. That's the only thing I liked about this movie. And I don't understand why people like it. It gets on my nerves. I can't even get past the first 20 minutes because it's just, it's redundant. It's unnecessary. It doesn't give me a whole lot of new information. But part of my problem, because remember, I always like to admit my bias. Part of my problem is that Chronicles of Riddick did this to my brain. So this movie does this, and that is not 
It's the same type of mistake, well, same type of choice. Some think it's a mistake, some think it's not, that they made with Ripley in the Alien series. It was the, they work better alone, they need to be alone, we need to go back to the scary man against beast kind of thing. That's good, but that's a regression. You have to have a reason in the third installment of a film to take that approach. And just we want to see some more cool action scenes and we want to ratchet up the gore is not a reason for me. So I'm just like, okay, all right, well, we got to review it. But I never watch this film. Never, ever, ever. Okay. Because there's, you know, besides the dog, I'm like, no, no, I don't want to see him disconstructed. I don't want to see him talking about how he missed a step. I want to see him have to get his edge back because that is character regression based on what we've already seen. What they established was a character that seemed to preternaturally, like Logan, have a strong sense of his environment, be able to anticipate things before they happen, be reacting to things that caught other people off guard, have a sense of when to move, when to zig, when to zag, what, when to fight, when to run. And now all of that goes away. So I'm going to say this and I'm going to throw it over to them. It's the same idea with evil Superman. You can change environments. You can even change somewhat motivations. <laughs> but you can't change personalities. <laughs> Whenever you change a personality, I am out. You just push me out of it. Okay, because I've been watching this one person and now somebody that's supremely confident, someone that is the ultimate survivalist, someone that has gone face to face with creatures that bite the head off of everybody else that faces them. And now all of a sudden, I'm scrambling to make a campfire on backwater planet to find me some marshmallows and I only survive because it's stupid. It, mm -mm. Nope, but that's just me. So I want to hear what my co-hosts have to say. Start with Nemesis, general impression. Um, where do I go? <laughs> um, I love you, DT, but I feel exactly the opposite about this movie. I, I know you do. I watch this movie all the time. I think that this movie is really in keeping with Riddick's character. Um, I totally buy into the fact that this is what needed to happen because at the end of Chronicles of Riddick, if we had gone forward with that without separating Riddick out, it becomes about the Necromonger and Necromonger and their quest and not Riddick's quest. So Riddick had to be separated from them. I also buy very much into the idea of the warrior being doled in a society and letting his guard down, even a character like Riddick. Um, so I bought all of that. Um, I also love what this movie, see, yes, you're right that it did shrink the universe, but I like that because I think that it condensed everything that was good about Pitch Black and then added on to that mythos with the character of Papa John's and his crew and what was going on. I felt like after watching this movie, I had to go back and watch Pitch Black because I thought that it added 20 layers of complexity to John's, like little John's, that weren't there before. I understood the that John's character so much better after watching this movie. And I love that about this movie. It made me so happy because it illustrated to me once again exactly who John's was and why he became the shitbag that he was. You know, 
because he hates himself because he can't live up to his father's standards, even to the point where he pretends that he's a good guy with the badge, like his dad does. When most mercs are like tombs, they're a bunch of freeloading or tombs or or the other guy who who has a box. I can never remember his name. I just call him Box Boy. Santana. You know, yeah, Santana. You know, most mercs are like those guys. You know, they're not guys running around pretending like they're on the side of law and order. And so I understood John so much better after this because his dad, yeah, he's a merc, but he's a different kind of merc, and he sets a different standard. And once he failed to live up to his dad's standard, he became a you know he became a self hiding person, and and it just makes me love Pitch Black that much more because of this movie. So okay, here's the thing. Before I throw it to Steve, here's the thing. I would buy. 98.7% of what you just said with one little tweak that changes the game. And here it is. If this movie was a prequel, mm. if this movie happens before Pitch Black, then I'm with you. Okay. okay. We see the making of Riddick. We see the making of Johns. We see mistakes made. We see toughening up, you know, different survival modes, then you send me into Pitch Black, I'm with you. But not as the third installment for a series. That's why it doesn't work for me. But with that one little tweak, then I'm on board with everything you said. Go ahead, Steve, general thoughts. Yeah, I, I will also add that uh, some of this is doing the work of the movie, and we just, you know, we keep coming back to that. But uh, and, but I, I, I will say, um, I really like the connection between you know, Papa John's and Little John's for that reason. That's a really interesting idea. Papa John's. So, um, again, my general really view. Calling Papa John's. <laughs> yeah, it just it's it's perfect. Um, the thing of it is, for me, is that it really seems to me very obvious that you know they, these people were still reeling from the fact that Chronicles of Riggedick was not received the way it should have been received. It was not a movie that was given the respect that it deserved. And it wasn't treated the way that it deserved. And I still do not, to this day, buy that this was the end game. I do not believe that David Toohey, when he wrote Chronicles of Reddick, said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take us back to another planet like Pitch Black, and we're going to have this thing going on on this planet with Johns. No, I don't believe it. I don't buy it for one minute. Plans change somewhere along the line. Uh, maybe pro Probably in response to the reception of the movie. So, um, yeah, this was a change in plans. And this is one of the reasons why I, I kind of don't like it as much as I like the first two, because this one definitely feels like it was like, this is an apology for the last movie. You know, we're going to go back to basics. We're going to make the movie that worked the first time. And we're going to go and go in that formula. Uh, but we're going to kind of like do it like in a diff slightly different way. And I mean, I can understand it from a business point of view, but from a creative point of view, I'm like, this is like the last place I wanted to go with this series. I want to know about Furia. You know, I want to know about uh, all the stuff with the threshold and the transcendence and, and all of these other things that they were talking about. All these things that are hinted at in this movie, but we never see. Uh, those That was what I wanted to see. And instead, it's like, okay... Uh, Riddick goes and lands on this planet, and okay, he's having uh, to rebuild uh, because he he lost his edge. I mean, I don't think that's a terrible setup. I, I, I can understand, you know, where they were going with that. Um, I, I don't I don't mind, you know, taking the hero back 
to rebuild later. I mean, that's a perfectly satisfying arc and it can be done well. Um, actually, the, the first Wolverine limited series does that. Like, you know, he was absolutely beaten within an inch of his life by, by Shingen and he had to rebuild himself into a samurai he wanted to be. That That is an arc like that that works. Um, so I'm not in theory against the idea. I mean, the problem I have is that it's married. All this stuff is married to the pitch black formula that they felt like they needed to get back to. And this is kind of where it's a bit of a patchwork film in that respect, because you're taking like it as a sequel to Chronicles of Riddick with a little bit of the necromongery stuff. Um, but most of the movie is instead the pitch black sequel with the Mercs. Now, there are redeeming things about it. There are things I enjoy about it. I mean, I, I certainly enjoy the bit with it. I love the dog. Um, I, I like the idea that, okay, there are these two groups of mercs that are not entirely in agreement with each other, and Riddick is kind of playing them against each other. Um, I mean, he's doing all these other different things. Um, and, then, and then the whole relationship with Papa John's, and I, I really think that Papa John's is easily the most interesting of the mercs that we saw. That that relationship with with him and, and Riddick, and the and the father redeeming the son, I really love that whole notion. You know, the whole idea that you know Papa John's doesn't want to believe uh, what really what his son really was. Um, he's in denial about this, and Riddick calls him on this. And then his test being, you know, I have to go and you know prove that I'm not the man that my son is. You know that that he is the better man. Um, that that's interesting. All of that is interesting, but you know the problem is it comes at the expense of the things you want to see, which is the necromongers, which is the transcendence, which is the which is Furia, which is all the big picture stuff. And we're having to wait another film, which we may hopefully get soon. But you know we've been waiting years for this. We've had to wait years for this. And we still haven't gotten this. All and all we've gotten is a tantalizing taste of it. And on top of that, the 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 good stuff that you want to see and is all in the outtakes in the director's cut. So you have to watch the director's cut just to get uh, morsels of what you really want to see. And and that's it, what really kind of gets me about this movie. It's not a bad film in and of itself, but it just feels like a filler episode in the middle of what we really want to see which we only got a tiny amount of, and it doesn't really uh, fill wet the appetite that we have that we got for all the stuff that was hinted at in the Chronicles of Riddick. And, and I think like that's really where I am with this movie. I, I want to like it, and there are things I like about it, and it's not terrible, but it's not what this film could have and should have been. And, and that's kind of where I am with it. Well, Just the point word there. Well, hold on. Let me uh, just that, and then I'll throw it back to Nemesis and Bracey. Um, use the word there, formula. Here's the deal. It falls into the same problem that the MCU does. The MCU formula works when you keep moving the camera to a new character. If you look at the individual trilogy of films, however, they are wildly all over the place because each one of the first, except Captain America, wraps up the character's arc in the first movie. Thor learned what he needed to learn in the first movie. Tony learned what he needed to learn in the first movie. So they had to regress him and give him some other stuff. So the three solo movies are wildly inconsistent and Hulk is the epitome of wild inconsistency. Because when you're gonna go formula, it doesn't, it doesn't work with the same character. 
It works when you keep introducing a new character in the mix. Yeah. Uh, exception being Captain America, because Captain America literally leveled up in every movie he was in. So he was still fun to watch. That's what I mean when I say, if they thought that was the deal here, then it works as a prequel. It works as Riddick begins. See what I mean? Yeah. But I agree with you completely that this was like the Luke and Leia kiss, because Luke and Leia weren't related in Empire. Then they said, oh, yeah, okay, well, yeah, they are. But then he tried to act like he always planned that. Yeah, no, you didn't. You just pivoted because his sister was supposed to be a character we hadn't met yet. So they just threw that out and made it Leia. So that's what happened here. I agree with you completely on that. That a whole lot of stuff, they just pivoted and like, well, we got to find something that works since Chronicles didn't blow up. Uh, go ahead, Nemesis, and embrace it. Uh, well, first of all, I will agree with Steve. I wanted to say that the last 20, 25 minutes of the movie is completely formulaic. It's pitch black, too. I absolutely agree with that. All the monster stuff, I could have lived without. You could have cut all that out, and I would have been fine, you know, just with it being, you know, a drama and stuff between him and the Mercs and him hunting the Mercs and the Papa John stuff and all that. That was the best part of the movie. Everything else after that, was Pitch Black 2 with some triple X thrown in, you know, because he hadn't done enough seat presses in that movie riding on motorcycles. You know, he had to get one in in this movie. Um, that said, I firmly believe, you know, David Tuian and, and, and Vin Diesel have said that there are at least two more movies after Riddick and yeah. maybe three. I believe that in time, this movie will be vindicated when you see Lone Wolf Riddick again, not tethered to the Necromongers, go into the underverse, find Vako, avenge himself, find Furia, and then go back to Furia. That's but, what we want to see. We, we but, want to see Vako answer for what he does in this movie. Yeah, but I think this movie was necessary to get to that movie. It's just taken us another 10 years to get yeah. the next movie that we wanted to see. Yeah. But we'll see if I'm proven right. So, uh, I hope go, you are. Go ahead, Bracing. General thoughts. Yeah, I don't know if... Uh, <clears throat> I'm sure this... This obviously was not the grand plan. Uh, I'm much more in Steve's camp, and uh, partly in yours, Nemesis, because uh, I'm I'm pretty all about this movie up until we get to the third act when we get to the monsters, because then it is just pitch black too, literally. Uh, but I also agree with DT uh, that it does shrink things. Now, there's there is some building in here that I really like. But like Steve, this was not what I was hoping for. Uh, and it, it's it's the least satisfying for me overall out of uh, out of a series of movies that I really enjoy. And uh, I, I definitely understand where DT is coming from. Because uh, watching the film, I, I want the Underverse, I want Threshold, I want Transcendence, Transcendence and Furia. And I thought they were actually going to go there. And they probably still could have, but I think Toy has a much grander plan for that. And this film becomes tolerable because of how much Vin Diesel and David Toy love this world and this character they've built. It's in every single frame, uh, every scene, every line of dialogue. Uh, they This is a real passion project, real labor of love. And sometimes that's enough to get you through a movie and still like it. Uh, even if it's uh, flawed. What I had uh, anticipated them doing is, according to the lore, uh, the reason why Furians are so tough is they kind of grew up 
uh, like the Fremen are the Sargar <laughs> from the Dune series. Uh, these are these are peoples. Uh, one is indigenous to a very hostile planet. Uh, that was the Fremen from Dune, and then the Sardukar uh, were. They had a prison planet that the Shadow uh, Emperor would send everybody to, and it was it, it was like living on a slam. It was a fight to survive, and if you you ended up being uh, enough of a badass, he was like, "Hey, you know what? You can, I'll, I'll pull you into my armies here. Like you'll have a much better life." Now that you've uh, you've passed the crucible of surviving on this deadly world, and so I was kind of hoping that this was going to be Furia, and I expected Furia to be loaded with environmental dangers and loaded with uh, uh, dangerous animals. It, it's almost like the way they explain the origin of Doomsday. That Krypton used to be the most dangerous planet in the system, and they they dropped this thing down on it, and it, like it it just kept killing and killing and killing it until it evolved to a point where it could survive anything. And that's sort of how the Furians are. And I think you could have still done this movie in that context. I just feel like Toei has a grander plan in mind for when we actually get to Furia. So I abide by this film. I, I take it for what it is, but I do want to see so much more. And uh, unfortunately, it was, it was evident that they had to go back to a smaller budget. They had to scale back because they... Uh, they really did kind of bet the bank on Chronicles of Riddick. And uh, much like uh, Stephen Nemesis, uh, I did like seeing Riddick the loner. Uh, and we still give him a companion, so he's got a reason to talk and somebody to talk to. So we get his inner monologue expressed uh, vocally as well as you know his literal uh, voiceover monologue. And I did like seeing Riddick... Uh, like, what's Riddick's day like? You know, how is he surviving a hostile world? These these things that we'd never really seen Riddick on his own before. He's always the thing that gets things moving in these films. It was kind of nice to see a film that was, like, literally about him for a change. But at the same time, uh, you know, you just wanted so much more. And I actually liked the... As much as I like having some uh, some hostile creatures in a pitch black movie, it was nice to have some of that, which I thought was fine for the uh, the first third of the film. Uh, I did want the rest of the film to be just about Riddick dealing with these two different groups of mercs, the type of mercs he's very used to dealing with, and the type of mercs who are more like actual peacekeepers, you know, uh, you know, uh, police officers uh, kind of mercs, people like are legitimate and have a badge and all that. And I like the conflict going on between these three groups. And once again, we see Riddick is not, you know, he does not go out of his way to be this mass murder that he's been painted at. And uh, I do hope in time that we get into Riddick's past a little bit because I want to understand why he is considered the most dangerous man in the universe, obvious, you know, beyond his obvious physical and mental attributes. How did he get that? Like, what is the slaughter that pegged him as a monster when everything I see him doing has a certain code of ethics about it? And again, we get to see that play once again in this film. And as Nemesis likes to keep pointing out, he tests people. And you can kind of bank on their survivability depending on whether or not they pass or fail this test. You want to see his butcher of Blaviken moment to borrow from the Witcher. So, Yeah. Yeah, yeah his, his berserker rage. Okay, well, uh, keen in on what Bracey says, I definitely see 
what you're saying, but this is kind of a Empire of the Jedi challenge mm -hmm. problem. And that being, <clears throat> we have to be honest in saying that the reason we got the original trilogy that we did was because, because George Lucas didn't have total control like he wanted for a variety of different mm -hmm. reasons, but there were other voices in the mix, which is really why we got the original trilogy. Because when we got the prequel trilogy, that was that had a uniform feel to it, but it had a lot more problems. And uh, problems that we didn't really see resolved really until we get to The Mandalorian. But the point that I'm trying to make is, in terms of feeling like Star Wars, but the point I'm trying to make is, it's one of the easiest things in the world to do, which is you know one of the best parts of being in our community. One of the easiest things the world, in the world to do when you're a content creator is to lose sight of what people are really interested and exciting about and then continually put the camera in the wrong place. Or like you said, pitch black the apology, Steve. And so <laughs> based on what Bracey's saying, it's like you showed me a world out there that both entertained me and expanded me and gave me more information about your world. So I can't quite understand why this movie is not paying all of that off. Uh, like Steve said, morsels because it wasn't the payoff of that. It was almost a side journey, almost into interlude territory because we can't forget about the world we've already inhabited. That's the thing, that's the thing. And so that's what I mean when I say, I understand what Nemesis is saying about where it's going with the character and all that, but- uh, if, if you told me tomorrow that this was it, this was the final Riddick movie, I'd be pissed. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that that is absolutely true. I have always, you know, having followed this series closely and read the stuff from David Tui and Vin Diesel, I've always believed that there are more movies coming. And so that's why I feel the way I do about this movie. If this was the last movie ever and you told me this was it, it, it wouldn't be nearly as happy with this movie as, as I And then they do nine Fast and the Furious movies. They yeah. keep announcing more of them and it's because they're the cash cows. And yeah. then meanwhile, you know, you have Riddick that has this deep, interesting world, and it's like, when are they going to get to the point? Well, you know, again, again, it feels very much like interlude territory to me. But, um, you know, if if it's a, it's another one of those things where it's also almost like a love letter to the character. Mm -hmm. And so if you view it from that lens, then you can get some satisfaction out of the film as well. But for me, I actually wanted to see more progression and not regression. And I wanted to see more reasons other than I needed to get my edge back. So I'm not saying that was wrong or bad. I'm just saying that just didn't do it for me. Just me. All right, that's a good segue into let's talk about our next little subject, which is the extended cast of characters, all these characters we've been talking about. The Dead Riddick team is led by Santana. <laughs> And also the <laughs> pieces on that team playing Diaz. And then and they do some nasty stuff on that team. And then the Take Riddick Alive team, we've got uh, Hunter there and, you know, all the uh, John's drama. And then also Kenny Sackhoff is there. And uh, that's a whole nother, we'll get into that. But um, I want to hear your thoughts about the teams. Uh, my general thoughts about them were, <clears throat> I thought they were good, but I, you know, I'm very visual. So I couldn't get, couldn't, uh, couldn't get past a lot of the 
browns and the monochrome and the uniformity of the background. I needed some contrast to visually keep me interested. So a lot of it felt like just a big old sand dune all the time. And when we're not fighting, we're not bleeding, we're just talking. And I, you know, it just didn't work for me. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying it didn't work for me. So it was a little harder for me to engage in the characters, number one. Number two, I already told you I like the dog the best. Number three, when I look at the Mercs, uh, there was just a different movie playing in my head. I like the psychology of Riddick pitting them against each other. I like how he gets in your head and and it's very it's it's really predatory in a sense. But what I didn't like was how uh, how can I say this? I felt like everybody in the mix should have been a little bit smarter than they were. And the reason I feel that is because none of this could possibly have been the first time for any of this. There's no one in this mix where this is the first time you've been in a situation like this. Not possible. And so kind of the way they responded in certain things, I was just kind of like, uh, and I see that many times in writing and movies all the time. You do things because you want to have a scene, but you forget that unless you're doing year one, if you're doing experienced characters, they wouldn't react like that. And so that's when I said, even in the first, when we spent all that time with Riddick or whatever, you know, I, I was just like, you know, you can't show me all that super cool fury and stuff you did. And then now, you know, all the water scorpion stuff is coming up and it looks like you're struggling. I get that you're hurt and everything, but you've been hurt before. And then you do the Batman cheat where you should have bled out, but you mm -hmm. didn't. So uh, anyway, so so anyway, but you know that that seemed kind of rambling. But my general thoughts on the characters were: I felt like it should have been a little bit smarter because this is nobody's first time at the rodeo, and I don't know. I would have come in with a net. I would have come in shooting. I would have come in and captured them from the sky. I would have come in with a whole bunch of stuff, and there wouldn't have been conversations. There wouldn't have been a whole lot of stuff. It would have just been a very yeah. quick operation. To be fair, Tombs did try that the last movie. <laughs> yeah, he did. He yeah. did. And, and, and John says have reasons for wanting to talk to him. So I grant <laughs> I, him that. I, I get it. I get it. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I don't know. It's the same thing that the Flash does. He captures somebody, then he talks to them, gives them enough time to escape. So I don't know. I just think they should have been smarter. Maybe I'm looking at it wrong, but that's just me. Oh, no, I'll, I have a similar criticism in one scene specifically. Okay, well, I'll throw it to you. Uh, let me hear your thoughts about the the planet full of mercs. Now, uh, the merc crews were interesting, uh, at least uh, some of them. Uh, <laughs> was it uh, Santino or Santiago? Santana. Santana. Quiero como va. Santana. Boss Santana. Boy. <laughs> yeah, Box Boy, uh, he was the least interesting to me because he... Uh, he was a cardboard cutout character. He was just meant to be bad. He's all the bad things you don't like. And uh, and that actually made him kind of the most disappointing character out of the series for me. Because uh, the majority of these characters have something to them. Uh, even when you look at Tombs, who's uh, in sort of the same sort of light, uh, even Riddick could appreciate the fact that Tombs was a survivor. Uh, but, uh, you know, you get a box boy and there's nothing redeeming about him. You find out that uh, he's been letting himself and his crew take turns with their first captive. 
Uh, so already he's despicable. Uh, he's uh, just a gross person. Uh, I don't understand why he's in charge. I don't know why somebody hasn't fragged this guy and taken over his operation. <laughs> uh, I don't get that. And uh, but the rest of the rest of his crew, even though we don't get to know them for very long, uh, they at least are somewhat interesting. Now I get what you say about like the monochromatic palette. That doesn't bother me so much. Uh, I thought Pitch Black was largely monochromatic. You went from like this very bright sort of setting to a very dark sort of setting. Now uh, Riddick obviously gave us uh, an, an explosion of color and texture and scenery, which was fantastic. And so I felt like this this has its own feel. It's very much uh, a Western, if you ask me, in terms of its organization and its palette. So I was okay with that. And I did like that they at least tried to do a few visually interesting things with people who are wearing uh, kind of similar gear. Uh, you know, for the for the dead marks, you know, the one guy gets kind of like the, the turban and the face cloth, and, you know, you got Bible boy running around, and, you know, uh, box boy, he's got his, uh, his big old handkerchief and his long hair to set them apart. So at least they have, like, a little visual trick to uh, set them apart. Although I don't know... For the life of me, why Bible Boy is with this crew? You're going to be in the Bible, and you're going to tell me you're okay with them raping your prisoner just because she's a criminal? Like, no, you. I'd been like on one mission with those guys. Like, you know what? I, I think I need to sign on with another crew. This this is not working for me. Uh, so, I don't know why he didn't try to go on to Johnson's crew? It would have been much better. Yeah, for him. I mean, like he's he's really more in line with that kind of crew. At least they've got you know they're they're honorable and they're professional. And, you know, uh, Box Boy's crew is anything but professional. They're just hard. They're just hardened men. Uh, Johns' crew, they get separated by the fact that, like, even though they are wearing very similar things, and, you know, that, I like the little joke, like, I didn't know we were all supposed to be matchy-matchy. But, you know, you've got very recognizable people on that crew. You've got Katie Sackhoff. You've got Budokin Woodbine. Uh, people are going to stand out. Uh, you know, genre actors who we, we know and love. And so that makes it very easier to tell these crew members apart, even though they're, you know, they're kind of decked out in the same kind of riot gear. But I have to agree, uh, they should have been smarter. I'm okay with, uh, with Box Boy not being so smart because he just never comes across as smart, although I think some of his crew should have been like, oh, man, we got a bum sensor. It's like, well, don't just one of you walk out there. How about like five of you walk out there to replace the sensor? You know, something like that. Like you don't expect he's going to be uh, mucking with it somehow. You're relying too much on your technology. You're too into that. He's going to exploit that. But the scene that really got me that made me question the intelligence of everybody was the locker. You know, box boy admits the key never came off his neck. And he even makes the case like, are you telling me that he took the key off me? muck with the locker and put it back on me because they have this uh for those of you who haven't seen they've got an explosive panel on this locker where they've 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 stashed the power cells for their ship so that rick can't just steal a ship and when i saw the note on there talking about like fair trade and i was like this dude's master of psychological warfare he wants you to open up that locker and what do they do they open up the locker even like the well uh, the professional, very experienced Mercs led by John. I was like, why are you guys buying into this? But there's the whole drama of whether or not Vox Boy is going to explode that kind of like got everybody to turn off their brain. <laughs> and uh, I was like, it's just a matter of time. You've opened up the locker. You never locked it back up. You never took the key. 
You left it wide open. You know he's been in there once already. He's written in blood across the place. And you left that locker unguarded. And guess what? He's got your stuff now. I did have an issue with them being that stupid. Uh, That's but what I'm most, saying. Yeah, yeah, and like then that was that was the that was the scene that like like got me. I thought I thought a lot of the other things they were doing were pretty smart. Uh, I liked uh, from a military tactical standpoint. I liked the way Johns had Dahl backing him up, sniping uh, that they had uh, all kinds of interesting different rounds and sensors and devices used. You know, they had their big cattle prods to try and catch him alive. They had they had uh, trank rounds. Uh, they had barium rounds for uh, cracking the radioactive element in there. Uh, you know, I, I I like the chemical pheromone sensors. Like, oh, I'm picking up human pheromones. Like, that stuff was cool. I wish, uh, and and that is one thing I like about the series. Like seeing all these new levels of technology, and looking back at a uh, like the necromongers is like, how did their society develop so much more beyond everybody else's? And it it makes me. Again, it's another tease because now I want to get back into these other cultures. Like, what kind of stuff do the elementals have? If the necromongers have this level of technology, because you look at the uh, the Mercs guys, uh, they're they're using pretty much standard weapons. You know, they're using high velocity uh, uh, impact projectile bullets out of machine gun. You know, Buddha King Woodbine pulls something out that looks basically like a Glock. And meanwhile, the necromongers, you know, they got their gravity guns and their gravity system. And like the uh, the coolest technology the Merc has is stuff that we probably have at DARPA right now. So that's fascinating. And again, a, a tease is something else I want to see. I appreciate seeing more, but it just gives me a hunger for stuff that, that wasn't in this film eventually. Well, I wouldn't have had the necromongers in the film at all hmm. because it harkens too much back to what we saw before. I would have had him just explain what happened. Mm -hmm. and then just go straight into this film. In terms of the level of weapons tech, that's cool. But remember, when he sets the beacon off, there's a readout that yeah. says who he is, obviously, and then they come running. Uh, that's what I mean when I say, wouldn't you prep for a mission like that? For the most notorious killer or someone crazy or someone you've been looking for or whatever you want to say. Well, that, again, seems, that seems to be the problem. Everybody who comes after Rick seems to think they've got exactly what they need to take him down, and they're always wrong. And I would not have just done the necromonger thing with exposition as, as much as it as much as it made me want to see a different movie. Uh, I think exposition, I'd have felt like even more cheated. Well, if it's your first time coming up against Riddick, then I'll give you that. But if you know anything about him, all the stuff we saw him do, because remember, he's done way more stuff than we saw in the first two films. Yeah, but that's the thing. We've seen it. Most people who've seen it in their in his universe mm -hmm. are dead. Don't get to tell people. Uh, don't forget, when they're out on patrol, and they're like, hey, he's, man, he's just one guy. And like we, Five was already too many. Now we got 11 for just one guy? So a lot of people just don't believe the hype, I'm thinking. Uh, if you have to keep sending guys because everybody <laughs> come back dead, might be something there to believe. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Go ahead, Steve. Thoughts on the Mercs? Yeah, I, I will add one thing to this last point, and that is nobody seems to react to the ending of Chronicles of Riddick. None of these characters in-universe seem to understand. Like, they always treat him like, okay, he's the same convict and the same murderer that we saw in Pitch Black. Oh, we're just going after this guy who went in onto this planet and he killed these guys. It's like, no, 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 no. You are, of, you are after the guy who killed the Lord Marshal. 
Yes. You were the guy that killed the holy half-dead and ran the Necromongers. Why is nobody pointing this out? <laughs> I, I I couldn't get past that. Like they 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 want so much to bury Chronicles of Riddick in this story that people are, the characters are not even acknowledging things that they, they should be acknowledging. He's a public figure. He was a head of state. How do you not mention that? Uh, you know. So so yeah. These this is plot induced stupidity. You know because the story wants us to forget things. And they think that the characters should forget them too. And I really that was one of the things that really irritated me uh, throughout the whole movie. Um, I, I, the, the Mercs keep getting dumber and dumber. <laughs> um, like, you know, uh, Little John, uh, Little John's uh, was pretty competent. And then we get Toombs, who is kind of stupid, but, you know, semi not that bad. Okay. And now we get these, the, the Santana who is not only stupid, but just evil, and, and evil in a way that is not even pro-survival. Yeah. I, I, I mean, this, this guy asked for it. And, and I will say, the, the only reason that this character was not killed sooner uh, is because of uh, he had to survive for the plot so we could have that, that cool uh, ending in the middle, you know, where Riddick puts him in the box. There were several points in this entire film where the other mercs should have killed him, you know, <laughs> or or done something like, okay, well, maybe we have a rule with the mercs where we don't, where mercs shall not slay merc. Okay, maybe that should have been established, actually. But okay, let's kind of run, you know, and and uh, basically do a little bit of the work of the movie for the sake of discussion. Okay, let's say there is such a, such a rule that didn't pers uh, mean that they couldn't send him out to be bait. You know, I would have sent him out for Riddick to kill him. But you know? we didn't kill him. <laughs> yeah, let Riddick do that. I mean, that's that's exactly what what Little Johns was prepared to do. You know, to Jack, it's like that didn't seem to be against their rules some somehow. Uh, so why not do that to Santana? I mean, he want definitely wants it. Then he killed the dog, for example. Uh, he he saw them kill the prisoner. You know, why why wouldn't Riddick want to to take him down? Why not set him out there? You know, and use him as bait. Uh, you know, any of a number of things that they could have done. This, but either way, Santana should have been dead from day one. I'm surprised Batista didn't try to kill him to take over. It seems like the only reason, like anybody was not killing him, was because they were scared of him, or maybe they felt that they weren't smart enough, and he had, and he was trickier, or, or some other reason. But I mean, this guy was so dumb and and so brutal. That I can't understand why anybody would be loyal to him for how for five minutes. I mean, it's like the Joker, uh, in terms of how does the Joker maintain the loyalty of his thugs? I have no idea, you know, because he's the villain and he has to be there for a certain length of time until he's taken down, and that's it. Uh, so I had a problem with that automatically. Um, there were cool things. I, I liked the you know Riddick, uh, you know, the, with the psychological warfare stuff with the box. Um, I think that they were stupid to leave the door open and let him take the stuff, but <laughs> I, but I could even I could even buy the whole business of okay um, maybe they took the key from the neck is Riddick that good well probably uh, we've we've seen him sneak stuff off uh, you know very very care very very sneakily I mean he's very good at that kind of stuff and is this guy smart no I mean he I could definitely see this guy like being distracted by something, like maybe, you know, looking at Sadie Sackoff uh, and having Riddick just come along, sneak the thing off and put it back. It's it, within the realm of possibility for Riddick to do this. 
So, I mean, I didn't buy necessarily, I didn't have necessarily have a problem with him potentially doing that, but I do like the psychological warfare angle of it. The problem where, where it got stupid was that they left the thing open uh, <laughs> with the nodes there. That was where it got stupid. Um, up to that point, I was like, okay, is he or isn't? Did he or didn't he? All right, that's interesting. I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, you know, the, the various mercs individually, they seem to be very one note for the most part. Um, they, they seem to have like one, maybe one major personality trait uh, for the most part. Um, so you get, yeah, you get Luna, who's the guy like, I'm all about my mother and my faith. And, and you have this other guy who's the big thug you know, Batista, and you have all these other, you know, characters that, you know, just basically be about one thing. And they're not as good as, like, the characters that we saw in Pitch Black. Like, with all the characters that we saw in Pitch Black, they, we got enough time where, um, except for the red shirts, we got to know them reasonably well. We got to know Jack a little bit. We got to know uh, the Imam uh, decently well. We got to know Fry decently well. And we got to know John's decently well. Um, the only character that seems to have that level of depth in this movie is Papa John's. Um, maybe Doll to a lesser extent, but, um, you know, beyond, I, it seemed like for the most part it was, um, yeah, I'm a sniper and, um, I'm a lesbian, but I have a thing for Riddick, kinda. Okay, I guess. Um, you know, and then just, so, so yeah, they, I mean... It's not that these were bad, I mean, but you kind of know that they're red shirts. You know that Riddick is, or the monsters are going to take them down one by one. You're not particularly attached to most of them. Um, the one you really care about is Papa John's because he has depth and because uh, we care about uh, his relationship to Little John's and, and how that motivates his relationship with Riddick now. Okay, that, that, that's interesting. But everybody else is just like, okay, you know, wait for them to die. And, you know, if, um, you know, we're missing a few along the way, okay, great. I don't care. All right. Let me hit a few points there before I throw it to Nemesis. Uh, number one, uh, that was a very interesting question. How does he maintain loyalty? How does the Joker maintain loyalty? Uh, <clears throat> because if you're stupid enough to deal with the Joker, you can get anywhere in a circle on his radar, anywhere near him. The possibility of you dying horribly mm -hmm. is going to hang over your head from that moment forward. So kind of like if you cross him, even if you waited two years, <laughs> you know, you're going to laugh yourself to death at some point. You're going to die horribly if you cross this clown. I so, would rather cross him and risk dying than know I'm going to be killed by him later. There's actually a Joker story, a Joker comic book. I think it's called My Friend Jack or something like that. It's about a henchman. Who thinks he's like Joker's best friend until Joker eventually kills him, something like that? So yeah, pretty good. what happened in Batman '89? You know, he killed his best friend. But I'm saying, oh, good old Bob, right, Bob? But I guess what I'm saying there, Steve, is that it it would get in most people's head. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Number one, number two, there's a whole Negan thing because I asked the same question about Negan. I am walking, walking dead, and I'm like, well, if you start with a couple of really loyal dudes to begin with that will put their bodies between you and danger and people can't get to you. If it's never a one-on-one -on -one fight after a while, people would get tired and just go with it. So maybe there's that angle as well with Santana and all that, you know, you've got to show me a reason. You got to show me a reason that they wouldn't just kill you and take over. You got to show me more of a reason than what I've seen. Right. So, you know, 
if you can successfully get in people's heads, that can go a long way. That might not go all the way, but that can go a long way if you do that successfully. But you have to know what you're doing. And I don't buy that he would be able to do that to Johns or, or uh, people like that. Unfortunately, we never had enough time with the characters because we had that kind of prologue of Riddick being by himself. And there's there's nothing to indicate that nobody on his crew, except maybe Luna, because he's the young buck, couldn't be doing uh, couldn't be doing Box Boy's job. And the other thing is, in all three cases, although not so much Negan, but in the case of the Joker, and in this case, maybe the Mercs and the Bounty Hunters across the galaxy, there's that network thing. There's that thing that we got to see a little bit more in the Bourne movies, where they have operatives, or they call them assets, where they activated them. And so mm -hmm. no matter what, where Jason was in the world, there was an assassin close enough to him to activate and come, take him out, or do whatever. So what if you get involved with any one of these bad guys and you get a bigger picture of a network? Because the natural thought for me to be, well, just get off planet or just get out of the system and maybe you can go have another life, which would be cool. But how do you know you're not dealing with someone that has operatives every place humanoids are? Maybe mm -hmm. they do, maybe they don't. But if they make you think they do, you know what I'm saying? So it can be done. I'm just saying you got to, uh, it's like they say, if you want to frighten all the coyotes, kill three of them, then hang their dead bodies outside your house. Hmm. So once they see the corpses of them three coyotes, the rest of the coyotes won't say, hey, there's 50 of us. We can take them. The rest of the coyotes will be like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. I see, you know, Alvin, Simon, and Theodore up there, and they kind of gone, you know. So I don't know. I don't know about that. Kind of like that. People tend to be more like that than not. You know, the four of us are crazy enough to challenge that house with the dead coyotes, but that, you know, everybody not gonna do that. Okay, go ahead, Nemesis. What do you think? Um, all right, I'm going to uh, I'm going to defend a lot of this stuff. Although I do, oh, agree I feel the pushback coming. <laughs> I feel the pushback, right. pushback powers activate. Shape of Nemesis. <laughs> let's let's start with the unprofessional crew, the crew that wanted to kill. Uh, Riddick. Um, first of all, I think these guys are that stupid. These guys <laughs> are, I mean, if Johns was a fallen, you know, a, a flawed man and Toombs was a brute, these guys are thugs and, and criminals one step from being on the other side of the line and being hunted by mercs themselves. They are not professionals. They're not particularly smart. And uh, they operate on bully tactics, fear, and force. And Santana, as the one who is the trickiest tricky of the brutes, of the thugs, is the one who has landed himself somehow in charge of this group. I think there's something else going on here, but this may be me reading too much into the movie. I got a distinct flavor of La Familia from this group. Hmm. Um, having grown up around a lot of those people, having seen a lot of gangs with those type of people in them, they are loyal to each other right up until the moment that they're not loyal to each other. If 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 that doesn't make sense, is that, that the, the loyalty and the people that lead the crew, they're only loyal until it's not useful anymore. And I think that's perfectly encapsulated by Batista's Diaz when he was willing to, to uh, just screw everybody over 
and take one node for himself and get a ship and get the hell off the, the planet. And I don't think he was taking anybody with him. Hmm. Um, that said, um, I lost my train of thought for a minute. Oh, but um, with Batista, that character, and you know the other characters on there. Um, real quick, just to go through them, the two guys that died early, the red shirts, and then the third guy. I mean, they really were red shirts. Um, <laughs> I did get a sense of feel that they were, you know, part of that same Latin crew, that La Familia. You know, they definitely had that feel to them. I think that they were like from the same planet or something like that. Once again, I'm kind of doing the work of the movie for it, though. I, I will admit that. The Luna character, um, I think DT hit on it right there, which is that, yeah, he doesn't belong with this crew, mm -hmm. but he's, I think he took his chance to get off a, a world somewhere. And then it's like, what happens when they, when you leave? What world are you left on? And are you ever going to get off that world? You know, I mean, but that, that was a problem. Yeah. You know, and, and you're stuck. And unfortunately, we don't know a whole lot about how easy it is to travel from world to world, how much it costs, you know, a whole host of things. Yeah. Let me do the work of the movie and take it a little bit of a step further. I would not be surprised if there had been another captain before uh, Santiago or Santana. And I would not be surprised if Santana had killed him to, uh, to, to get control. Um, because I don't think that Santana's the kind of guy who would have brought a crew together of any kind. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, it could be a host of things. It could be as, as simple as he's the only guy who knows how to, to run the system to get some food. You know, I'm not yeah. saying that's what it is, but yeah. it's like yeah. there are so many things that we don't know that can lead to a guy staying in power. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't think that's untenable. Um, as far as Jeff's situation with the stupidity of them taking off the lock, I agree completely. The only thing I will say is that Riddick is doing a mind, and I'm not going to say the word, a mind F on these guys. Right. Yeah. And after a while, it starts to get in your head. you know. <laughs> and I think the problem that a lot of us are having here is that we are dealing with perfect knowledge when the people in the movie are not have imperfect knowledge. Riddick is a myth. you know. And, and oftentimes in that world, in that world of criminals and mercs and everything else, Myth is usually a bunch of BS. You know, if if you said that you caught a fish three feet long, it was six inches long, you know? <laughs> and so nobody is going to believe this crap from Riddick. And most of the people who are telling the stories, you're, you're sitting there, you're in a bar, and some guy is buying, getting rounds of drinks bought for him, and he's telling stories about Riddick, and everyone's like, yeah, that guy's full of crap, you know? And those are the few people that are even telling stories. Who knows what's in the official records? You know, so uh, that is not out of the realm of possibility. And, but these guys get on world and suddenly in the middle of the night, two dudes just disappear. They're just gone. They're dead. And a third guy got chopped in half by some huge ass predator traps. <laughs> suddenly you're like, who the hell are we on this planet with? Now, any sane person at that point would be like, you know what? Maybe the money's not worth it. Let's, let's get the hell out of here. You know, Riddick can stay here as far as I'm concerned. These they actually guys, do bring that up. <laughs> To be yeah, Luna. <laughs> yeah, Luna is like, let's go. He was the smart one. <laughs> yeah, these guys are thugs, you know, and then Johns has his own thing. And, you know, Santana is a thug. And so they stay. Now, opening it up, all right, I can see opening up and changing it. Not locking it back up again, that's stupid. 
That is his plain stupidity. And the only reason I can see Santana not locking up again is because he's genuinely scared that Riddick might get the key and change the code, and then he's going to blow himself up. You know, <laughs> that's the only reason I could see for Santana not locking it again. Other than that, that's just plain dumb. Um, but I, I agree with you that they are fairly one-dimensional. Uh, Santana is the kind of character that when he died, there was no tears shed. You know, as, as I was Shade, cheering when he died. I was hoping he would die sooner. <laughs> yeah. As Shade Wing said, you know, uh, I, I was hoping you were going to say this line, so I'll say it for you. Shade Wing put on our personal chat, he's like, uh, you know, if ever there was a character asking to die, it's this guy. And yeah. Like, yeah. Absolutely. You yeah. know, Santana was just begging to die through the whole movie. Um, Batista's character, the problem I have, and, and this is going to be a legit criticism of the movie, all of these characters could have been built on even further. You could have had, been been, had Batista be the big bad and have a showdown between Batista, Johns, and Riddick instead of having the monsters, and the movie would have been great. Yeah. You could have cut the monsters out of this movie completely and just have Riddick wanted to get off this planet once he healed and have it be a psychological thriller between these two Merc groups and, and, and Riddick, and then the bad is Batista. When Santana dies, Batista sees his chance, and he becomes the evil SOB that he is. That would have been an awesome movie. you know. So the monsters were not necessary. Mm -hmm. um, let's get to John's. John's is true. Um, the two guys, uh, the Billy wannabe from Predator, uh, <laughs> You know, he, he was okay. I would have liked to have seen more from him. I would have liked to see him actually do some tracking stuff more than what he did. Yeah. Uh, the other character who I swear to God looks like Tracy Morgan. I still think that's Tracy Morgan. They just <laughs> put another name on there. You know, um, same thing. Although um, I thought that his character had some real potential because I saw him have a, a wet his pants moment when he realized just how deadly Riddick is when Riddick caught him and held life to his throat. And I wish they had done more with that because here is a character who is professional, I think who is good at his job, and he just realized that no matter how good his job he is, Riddick is 10 times better than he is. You know, and I thought that was interesting. Um, Dahl, I, I don't know, are we gonna discuss Dahl at another time? Uh, well, you can go ahead since we're here. <laughs> There's um, some very interesting things to say about her. <laughs> um, Let's just start with the name because it's right there. Yeah. I mean, it was like baby doll. She's there to be looked at. Then they give us her her titty for no reason at all. I'm like, what? You know, I'm, like, I'm not above look, looking at some breasts when I want to. But, like, was there a reason that Katie Sackhoff's, you know, left breast needed to be exposed for this movie? I, I don't think so. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, uh, I guess. And I, I agree, her character is very one-dimensional. Um, and the fact that she was a lesbian, it was not shocking at all. It is so cliche as to be unshocking. It's like, oh, look, the tough guy soldier girl is a lesbian who is going to somehow be attracted so much to the bad boy that now she wants the bad boy to go balls deep into her. Oh, yeah, okay. You know, it's like I've seen this movie about five Hundred times. Did she get unlesbian? That's all I want to know. Just yeah. <laughs> no, only for Riddick. 
Only for Riddick. That's right. Only for the alpha man. Because Riddick yeah. is like so hyper masculine that he's the yeah. one to do this. Yes. Yeah. She he didn't cure her. He only he only scratched the niche. That's all I'm gonna say. So, <laughs> um you know, and then John's. And I agree with you that John's is the most interesting character. Uh I could have had another twenty minutes of John's and Riddick. You know, so I think it was that good and had that much potential. I, I, you know, so the last thing I'm going to say about these crews is that I think the contrast between the true professionals and the thugs who are only one step removed from being criminals themselves um, was pretty brilliant. I wish they had done more in developing the characters. Mm -hmm. I thought the contrast between the different styles was very good. I think that um, looking at Santana's crew, they were thugs with some technology who had gotten complacent and relying on that type of technology to do a job, you know, and they're picking on little girls while they rape them in their crew, in their ship, you know, just contemptible characters who are not professional at all. And then you had the professionals who were really good, but um, they were cocky, you know, they were cocky. They brought a four man crew for Riddick and thought they could get it done. And even with that, uh, two of them died, you know, so. And he told him last movie, it, yeah. I find it insulting that you would bring out four people for me. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, no, so I'm just going to wrap it up there is that I, I thought that that, that contrast was very interesting. I thought the whole uh, color choice and the, the clothes choice was very interesting. Oh, and the last point I wanted to bring up the color palette. Um, this is where this movie really shows its budget. Unfortunately, this movie didn't have a big budget. Having done some computer graphics in my time, the easiest way to hide problems and not have to do lighting and other things color is, grade. To, is to do that kind of color palette and those that kind of textures. You can't see the, the masks that are in there. You can't see the way that things are put together. It hides a whole lot of flaws, and it's very cheap. So... Um, as much as I like this movie, I got to keep it real. I got to be honest and tell you, you know, when there are flaws, and that was a flaw. The movie has not aged well uh, from a, gra you know, a CGI perspective. And it didn't look particularly good when it came out. It was probably Chronicles of Riddick level CGI with less color and less dy dynamic action. So, you know, and, and Chronicles of Riddick came out nine years before this movie. So... Okay, so Nemesis says that when in doubt, Sebia. So here's what I want to go next because you brought up some very interesting points that actually opened up a new little lane here. And here's the thing. Uh, I don't know if we've we've said it directly or hit the nail on the head, but you did with that with that last response, and because the problem was the the care and the shaping of the supporting cast had little to no investment they were cliche they were caricatures so it's a little bit beyond just being one-dimensional it's more it's more the the caricature the 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 stereotype the trope the idea we're going to throw this character in the mix and when you do that when you juxtapose that against the kind of movie we just saw and it gets pitch black where when you're having a transport ship and people are trying to go somewhere to find a better life for a bunch of different reasons and you got 
uh, an investor or you've got a one percenter who's into, you know, finer wine has got to have his, you know, uh, his wine and you've got miners and you've got uh, mercenaries and you've got prisoners, all that. That's a way more interesting mix. But here, just about every cliche we could think of for this type of movie was given form in a character that automatically makes it bland. Then they married that to a bland background. So that's what I mean when I say there wasn't enough there to hook me from the beginning, because again, when you examine the characters, one of the things you said that's key is stuff happened because I think either the studio told Tui to make it happen or maybe he thought it should happen, but it was a very obvious, we're gonna put this scene in the movie. And that's not the same as, does this make sense for the story? See what I mean? Mm-hmm. And for all the stuff you mentioned were, were more scenes like that. Because her being a lesbian or her attraction or whatever, it's like, so we have a butch lesbian that's a merc and an assassin and a femme fatale. And Riddick is enough to make her do an lecture and say, well, I guess I don't want to do all that now because you're so hot. Really? <laughs> You know, you put that in Mean Girls, I'll buy that, but not here. And then, like we've already talked about, the relative intelligence or lack thereof for all the mercs. But then the one thing I was going to talk about was the monsters, but you said you can just throw them all out. It's the same movie because I was going to talk about, like, which monster was your favorite. But the difference here was was that uh, once you establish it's kind of a planet full of threats, then, you know, they didn't escalate to the end. The scene that happens at the end that basically looks like Riddick is over should have happened 10 times before we get to the end. And it would have if you were really in that situation. Yeah. So that's what I, that's what I'm saying. This, this movie was dangerously close, if not in there, uh, to being a string of cliches. Just one cliche after the other. And we wanted something better after what we've seen from the first two films. But Pitch Black, in all fairness, has the advantage of being our introduction to this world. So of course, you know, it's gonna have a different level of excitement. What you're supposed to do is escalate on some level, which is why the Johns relationship is the most interesting relationship. Because it is a form of escalation based on what we've seen. But almost nothing else was an escalation. It was a regurgitation, it was a repetition, it was a cliche nation, but that's pretty much it, I'm thinking. Okay, so on to the next. So here's the thing. Uh, pretty much after we get through there, it, it feels like the Chronicles of Riddick escape sequence, except this time with the mud demons, those were the water scorpions. It feels a little bit like that sequence that we already had. And then we get to the big climactic ending where I read read one review. I think it was Ebert's review. Somebody's review said that Tui didn't have the courage to do what logically should have been done or screaming fanboys and studio executives uh, wouldn't let it be done. But basically, we're saying that Riddick should have died. John should leave Riddick. Yeah, and Ben Riddick should have died because he's outnumbered and, you know, uh, John's going to come back and all different kind of stuff. So what do you think about that? Because um, mm-hmm. when I saw it, the first time I saw it, 
I really did think Riddick was going to buy it. I really did think this is the end of the character. And then I was like, wait a minute, are they really going to do that? You know, they're really going to kill this kill this guy? And I was like, eh, I don't know. But I really thought that logically, based on the setup, that that was the way this was going to go. Because this was the only movie he didn't feel omnipotent in. This movie, he felt more human and more vulnerable than we've seen before, which I, in fact, did not like. But that's just me. So what do you think about that? Because, uh, you know, well, Nemesis said you should throw the monsters out. So let's talk about the monsters really quickly, and then we'll get to the should Riddick have died. Um, like I already told you, the dog is my favorite. Uh, the thing about these kinds of situations is that they're all carnivores with beaks and teeth and claws. And I'm like, everything on Earth, all those creatures aren't all like that. But when you get on these backwater sci-fi planets, all of a sudden they're all... I'm like, what y'all been living on before Riddick show up? That's what I want to see. Hmm. In the Pitch Black movie, we saw the elephant skeleton. We saw the huge woolly mammoth skeleton. I'm like, okay, I give you that because there were other slower creatures that y'all could feed off of. But here, everybody got a claw, everybody got a tail, everybody got a big old beak, everybody got fangs. I'm like, what was y'all living off of? Y'all feeding off each other? Are y'all faster than each other? What about the water scorpions? Because they did the hypnotic snake thing, then they jump out at you. I was like, yeah, okay. So that's another thing that pushed my brain out of it. But that's just me. So monsters first, then we'll get to should Riddick have died. So Nemesis, we already know. He said, throw the monsters out. We didn't need them. So Steve, what do you think? Monsters. Okay, on the monsters. I'll I'll talk a little bit about the world building. I actually think that a lot of the world building in principle was not that bad. Um, And I did look at some of the outtakes and some of the uh, extra materials um, where they had basically said that it was a, basically a brown dwarf star with like a Jupiter style moon. I, 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 will, I do like the way that they use actual astronomy as kind of like the basis for these worlds. That stuff is interesting. It is a bit of a pitch blacky type world in the respect that it's a desert planet, you know, and you have these monsters that come out under certain conditions. Yeah, okay. But um, I like that there was more of an ecology, an actual living ecology on this world. It wasn't just, okay, um, You there's nothing there except for, like, um, you know, all these monsters and then, like, fireflies that were living uh, in some of these corridors. Can I? You know, there, there were actual uh, animals and there was an ecosystem. Okay. Well, you know, yeah. One point real quick. Um, it is implied that there are something that everybody's feeding on because Riddick and the Dingo Dango or Dingo Dongo or whatever the dog was called. <laughs> had that big old Fred Flintstone brontosaurus, you know, yeah. bone stuff. I just figured yeah. that was a. I just figured that was a big old shank off of one of the mud scorpions. Oh yeah, no, could have been. I figured that had to be some sort of herbivore or something. But yeah, there probably are other kinds of, of creatures that 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 exist. I mean, because it's like you know where in, you know what are the uh, the jackals feeding on, for example. I mean, you know, there's definitely like an, an element there and we know that there's water there. And I think that establishing, you know, that there are water, that there's water pockets, you know, across this planet um, and that there's a regular rain cycles. That I mean, that me- means that there has to be plants somewhere, you know, things like this. So it is it, plants. yeah, yeah. And so all of this was thought out. And so, okay, you know, that you have lesser strains of carnivores and, you know, that the jackals would therefore feed on. Uh, and and you and you see like uh, you know conflicts, very Discovery Channel like conflicts uh, between the jackals and the mud demons. 
which I, I thought that that was really, really interesting. Like that, that's kind of stuff you would actually see, you know, from time to time they would have encounters. And because the jackals, um, in addition to being reasonably strong are also very fast. Yes. Um, you definitely see how they're, they're getting to the water because they, you know, they're fast enough to go in, get the water. They can, they can hunt because they have smell, sense of smell. They have a very refined sense of smell. They would be able to go in and they would be able to find the things that they need. And then they would be able to get out there before the, the scorpions get them. Okay. So um, I, you could, def I, I, this is the one thing that Tui does very well. And he still does that well here. Um, I had no problems with that. The only problem that, that I mainly have with the monsters, you know, is that it feels like, okay, basically they are the, the bioraptors, except that they uh, come out in the middle of a, of a rainstorm instead of coming out at night. But it happens to be basically night that they're coming out because pitch black and we have to have Riddick using his super sight, you know, so you, you have that element that's kind of forced. But I do like the way that they build in the world building so at least it's not like something where it's a flat world. I, I, th I think they put more effort into actually designing the ecology and the world than they did in designing any of the characters. So at least there's that. I'll give them that, that, that point. Did they need to be in the film? The only thing I will give them is that at least the, the encounter with the monsters is the catalyst for Riddick's test of John's. And that defines their relationship. But aside from that, yeah, I have to agree. They didn't need to be there at all. Uh, you Maybe they could have uh, developed that in a different way. You know, maybe uh, Riddick and John's kind of agreed, okay, we'll go get the nodes. And then they have to turn against uh, Batista, you know, because, you know, that group is not going along with a program. You know, there, there are different ways that they could maybe have done that. So, yeah, I, I see what you're saying in principle. Um, but that really is like the only er area where I would see where the monsters have any justification at all. And otherwise, it's just basically pitchback uh, part two electric boogaloo. <laughs> I, thought the, I thought the eels in the acidic water were cool, too. Yeah, yeah, they, they were. But I also liked how he injected himself with venom to build up an immunity. I can yeah. see a little bit more of that. I wish we'd seen more of that, and that yeah, that seemed to be almost glossed over at yeah. one point. Yes, well, yes, what, it was. I was like, I guess, this is interesting. I guess when I say the monsters could be gone, period. What I mean is the monsters as the the main, you know, the third act. Villain, yeah, that, yeah, that's what I figured you would say. We're yeah, 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 the them at all for the third act. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cut, those, cut them out of that. You know, if you want to make them the backdrop that this the story is taking place against as part of the world, that's great. You know, Think but. Of they could have just been a little hazard he used against the Mercs. Right, yeah. Well, when the writing is strong, I can stay in fan mode. When the writing messes with my braid and kicks me out of fan mode and my writer's hat come on, and I and so the, the, a different movie starts playing in my head because I was like, you know, my phrase is always putting the camera in the wrong place. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do all Furians have this ability? How do you know how much venom your system can, system can tolerate before it overloads? How do you know how fast you build an immunity? How you know how you know how to do all that, and how did you know that would work? And then, then that opens up the possibility for even more kinds of creatures. No, you, don't want, like, you don't want to fall in the well, Star Trek thing, or, I, you know, yeah. And I can buy him taking a certain amount himself. Where I kind of was wondering is like, okay, he gave the toxin to the dog, and the dog survived it. How how would you know? How, how do you not end up with a dead puppy? I I. I will say 
that I have seen this in real life. I have seen crazies do this in real life and inject rattlesnake venom at different doses to build up immunity to rattlesnake venom. So are it's a real thing. Are you talking about the Pentecostal church? <laughs> no, say, I've, I've no. seen it in religious context where they get the snakes and stick their hand in the snake. See how much I'm talking about. Good. People who own like reptile farms or snake yeah. wranglers and stuff out here that people that just so they, they can they afford to make a mistake every now and again. Yeah. Well, them same people that did dance and put their hand in the snake pit also drink strychnine. Oof. So they're dealing with snake poison and strychnine. But that's another conversation. Go ahead, Bracey Monsters. Yeah, it's funny. You were mentioning that stuff about uh, Riddick. I couldn't help but as I'm watching that first part as well. I started wondering about other things. Okay, he's got a compound fracture. He resets his bone. But one of the things he does is the necromonger armor, because nothing about necromongers is pleasant. Uh, he screws the armor into his flesh. And I was like, yes. so I guess Furians are immune to infection, uh, among all these other things that they can just do that nobody else can do. And it's, it's like you. I, I kind of was like, I, I want a little bit more of this. Like, let's get into this. Let's explore this. Uh, as for the monsters, uh, I'm very much in Steve's camp on this. I thought the world building was pretty great. And that's one thing Bowie really excels at. Um, I thought the world was fascinating. I was glad we actually got to spend some time with it. I appreciated the fact that the rain wasn't just convenient. Oh, we happen to be here on the one day that it monsoons every 22 years. Thank God they didn't do that. <laughs> even, even though it got very pitch blacky at the end. Uh, but I, I really like the design of the creatures. Everything from the the eels and the sulfuric pools uh, to the uh, to the vultures uh, to the jackal dingoes uh, to the mud scorpions, and uh, I, I love this this ecology that these things are so uh, so amphibious that they cannot risk drying out. They've always if you can get away from the pool, you can get away. And I, I love the uh, being somebody who designs creatures uh, for fun. And I think about the biology of things a lot. Uh, I, I, I really like this kind of cool idea how they mixed an alligator with a cobra. Uh, I like the distracting scorpion tail, you know, and it's it's it's, it's like eyes and nose are up there. It's, it's breathing through this. And I, I, I'm thinking about how this whole system works. And then it's got the poisonous mouth down here like, hey, what's this hand doing? What's this hand? Ooh, I got you. I love that whole idea. Uh, the, the creatures in the world were built really well. And, uh, and and with 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 Rick seeing the monsoons and seeing the the plains of, of, of foliage off ahead, you can probably figure out there probably are herbivores. And this kind of made it a world worth exploring. I, I kind of once again, I kind of wish this had been Furia. This would have been really interesting to get more into. But I do like the fact that they brought in this whole cycle of Johns to sort of uh, tie these two threads together. Now. The disappointing thing is I agree with Nemesis. We did not need these monsters for the third act. I would have appreciated them more as being a uh, an environmental hazard to use against the mercs, or if I'm going to use them, I would not have done a countdown. Not, That's not, not have done a... I would not have done a countdown. Oh, okay. Pitch black, we know when we see the movies, like they figure it out, oh, this is going to happen. There, There's going to be an eclipse. These things are photophobic. They're going to come out. We've got to get off this planet now. Riddick knows that the monsoons are coming. He warns everybody, the monsoons, you've got it until like rain starts falling. Then, uh, you know, time's up. We didn't need that. I didn't want that. It would have been so much better if we keep it 
to the human struggle. We're like maybe getting this two or three way battle and it's looking pretty dire. Maybe it's going to be bad for Riddick. Maybe it's going to be bad for one of the other guys. And what changes the whole game in like maybe the last 10 minutes of the movie? It starts freaking raining. And we've had no indication that these things will come out in the rain. And all of a sudden they start crawling <laughs> up through the mud and it becomes a real oh shit moment for everybody in the cast. Now, oh, screw all this. We've all got to get out of here. I think that would have been an exciting way to end the film with like 10 or 15 minutes of a life and death race to the finish. Okay. Okay. Nice. That actually makes sense. Um, I guess, because uh, when you're talking about the overall world building, I guess, you know, it, it, it did have some layers and dimensions. Mm -hmm. But again, see, this movie is, it's what Steve said at the beginning. It's, it's Chronicles of Riddick, the Apology. Yeah. It has a bunch of things in it that don't necessarily need to be in it that are shoehorned in uh, for excitement or for whatever reason, but it doesn't seem to nece necessarily flow logically in terms of the story. And like I said, if if we're going to dive more into the, you know, he said last movie, I had Mercs on my tail. I'll always have Mercs on my tail. Hmm. It's it, it would have been the motion, the running that would have done it for me. Because hmm. this was a lot of stationary kind of stuff, and I'm healing and I'm hurting. I got to get my edge back because they kicked me out of out of the necromongers, you know, because of whatever. Because I wouldn't uh, swear to their faith. And then there's a deleted scene where, if you watch the director's cut, he actually goes back uh, to Helion Prime. And so that's what I mean when I say, you know, it didn't fully get away from Chronicles of Riddick. It tried, and it tried to distract us with all this other stuff. But that world was just too big and too thick and too full and too rich for it I, not to be lingering over the things that was happening in this film, I think. Go ahead, Nim. I was going to say that I think the thing for me also is that, yes, I agree, Necromongers and all that deserves to go. We deserve to see more of that and everything. But I think the really other interesting aspect that we've been introduced to is Mercs, especially after Dark Fury. You know, I saw Dark Fury before I saw Riddick. And in Dark Fury, we are introduced to the concept that there are mercs, there are mercs, and then there are mercs. You know, so, <laughs> you know, some mercs are professionals, some mercs are thugs, some mercs are cannon fodder, you know, some mercs are people that are just kept on ice until somebody, some queen bitch needs to throw them out there to just be shot and killed. You know, there are all different types of mercs. And it's like, who signs up for this? Who decides to do this job? Who, who goes alone as an entrepreneur versus being on one of these big Merc ships that we see in Dark Fury? And I know we're going to cover that movie, you know, but there are these big Merc ships where there are thousands of Mercs kept on ice. Who the hell signs up for that? You yeah, know, so. actually talks a little bit about that in one of the outtakes. And, and it's the idea that there's no they don't have a law enforcement uh, situation that can cover the breadth of the galaxy. So who's doing all the law enforcement work? Yeah. It's all the Mercs. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like, what kind of person is signing up to be put on yep, ice? Or, exactly. You know, crack, crack ice in time of yeah. bullets flying at my face. Yeah. You know, well, so. yeah, like if it's if it's the only way to see the universe, uh, that might be the only way. It says like, you know, or uh, to take a little line from Highline, you know, it's not the same thing, but like a service uh, guarantee citizenship, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Do a little time and get out there, and uh, if if the audience out there hasn't seen the uh, the sci-fi special um, introducing Pitch Black and have played the video games, you get into a lot more Merc lore as there 
you get into a lot more Merc lore there as well. And uh, I'm with David. Like this is a this is a really interesting aspect to explore as well. There's the whole damn universe is so rich. Yes. Yes. I mean, even, and 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 to be honest with you, I hope they don't do this because I think DT's point is right on. It's like this was our interlude. Now we need to get down to business. You yeah, know? True. True. But how much would you like to see a slam movie? Just a whole slam movie, an escape yeah. from a slam. You know, a escape from Butcher's Bay type movie. You know, we, could like this, we could do this with side characters. Yeah. Well, see, now, now, if we're going to do that, that's what the other media platforms are for. Mm -hmm. So we need some more video games. We need some more comic books and graphic novels. We need some more short animated films. We need, like, I want you to imagine an animated oh, novels. An animated I'm like an entire animated series, like a like a wow. full on show. I think you can wow. do a lot with Riddick in that. Oh, in that. I, I would say right now, Dark Horse or uh, Image or Boom, you need to contact David Tui and get the rights to do comic books for this world. Yes, because if there's a I world, is Dark Horse. Yeah, if there is a world that is screaming for a comic book series or two, I can think of more writers who would agree to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So that leads me to the last point I wanted to make uh, that you guys can throw out if there's some extra stuff you want to talk about, because, again, I was mainly disconnected. So what I'm going to say now is going to sound funny, but maybe not in light of everything else I've said. I have to say when we get to the end of the film, it didn't feel like Riddick anymore to me. I could be wrong in that feeling, but it didn't feel like him to me. And so I felt like I was about to witness the death of a different character that was a spinoff of a character I once thought I knew and didn't really think I would miss him that much if they croaked, to be honest. So I don't know if that's a fair assessment, but it's honestly how I felt. And I was like, well, okay. Because I'm asking myself in the moment, how would I feel if he really does bite it? And I'm like, I don't know. I guess it could be the end. You know, there's so much more stuff in this world to explore. But it started to feel, and once again, I could be wrong, it started to feel, by the time I finished this film, even the first time I watched it, there was something tickling my brain that was saying, they really don't know what to do with this guy. So much more can be done with this guy, and so much more can be done with this world, but they, they, they made it smaller than they need to, than they needed to, and okay, so the movie I rewrote in my head would have been a a combination mystery thriller, merc chasing action adventure with Papa John's not being revealed as a protagonist and as an antagonist until the end. So all of a sudden there was tech written Riddick hadn't seen before. Uh -huh. And maybe he had to flee to worlds he hadn't been to before. Then I can buy the responses of not knowing what's going on. And he keeps running into places he can't fully get out of. Or maybe he gets hurt because somebody has weapons or somebody's been studying him. Like Bane studied Batman and finally figured out a way to really hurt him or put him down. Then at the end, it's revealed that Papa John's is that antagonist. That's kind of the movie... I would have bought instead of this one. And I would have cared about if Riddick had died more than I did at the end of this one. Mm. That's just me. So let me hear your thoughts about that. I'll start with Bracey. Wow, that's uh, 
that's a lot to think about there. I hadn't really come at it from that perspective. I know I did feel for the first time since the very first movie, uh, because in Chronicles, he was, I was pretty sure he was going to make it through. Like he was, he was just too awesome to kill off in that movie. Yes. Uh, I would have bought him dying in the first movie, actually. Uh, that that could have been his arc. That could have been his big change. You know, he actually sacrificed himself as opposed to Fry. That was on the uh, in fact the original plan. I, I, yeah, I realize that, but he's good choice. So this is so much more interesting character. Uh, not that Fry wasn't interesting. Hey, mm -hmm. maybe there's a chance to see her in the Underverse. Everybody dies after all. Um, but the um, I did feel like he was actually in danger of dying, and I was very conflicted watching that. Uh, when I first went to see it in theaters, because I was the whole time I was like, "Well, this can't be the end," and it's just being a fan. I want a satisfying ending to the story, whether it ends good for the character or bad for the character. And you have expanded my world too much. Uh, we've got too much to do with Furia. We've got too much to do with the Necromongers. He's been having all these freaky visions from the uh, Furian priestess, you know. Uh, yeah, we, we can't end it here. And I, I was like, I was like, oh man, don't don't kill him, don't kill him. No, no, do not kill him. And so, even if it didn't necessarily work for you, DT, I'm glad that isn't where it happened. Uh, I have to agree, things definitely got a little muddled with this film. I don't think it's that the writers didn't know what to do with the character anymore. I feel more like there was a, a need between uh, Tui and, and, and Diesel to probably like, we got to get Riddick back out there. We got to remind people that Riddick's out there and hopefully we can uh, do well this time and get another movie, the movie we want to make in the future, but we've got to go ahead and get him out there because in the studio says, I'm like, well, you know, does anybody really care about that anymore? So you, you need some level of exposure over a number of years. And I just feel like, in the end, they they did what they thought was the best they could with the money they were given and whatever studio direction they probably had to acquiesce to to get the film made. So, not as satisfying as it could have could have been. It was a uh, still an enjoyable romp, but I look forward to these guys being able to show us real Richard B. Riddick again in the future. Well, uh, I will quote the line from The Mummy, or maybe The Mummy Returns, death is just the beginning. Yeah. Because we've all mentioned Underverse. Mm -hmm. So if he does die, that does not necessarily have to be the end of the character. There's That's true. Whole, I, hadn't, I hadn't considered that either. There's a whole other storyline and a whole other story world that could justifiably see him fighting or chasing, or we find out. Because what I would have done, especially from a religious angle, I, what I would do is write Underverse as none, nothing like what they thought. Almost Wizard of Oz style. So you got the big head and he's talking and their explosions, the great and powerful Oz, the great Lord Marshall, but then you get down there in it and you're like, holy cow, it's a prison camp. Yeah, that would be so suitable. 
Yeah, then, you know, uh, like, holy cow, nobody down here is in power except maybe. Oh, well, check it out. Since we've already got like a pseudo Egyptian iconography, mm -hmm. we do a Moses and Reddick has to lead the people out of bondage. Something like that. Or, or yeah, that's another great angle. He gets mistaken again for uh, a savior or a deliverer, and that's not what he's trying to do. He's trying to run through it. And there's mm -hmm. writings on the wall that predicted him being there, and everybody keeps saying, like they did with Superman and Candor and all these different things, that you're the one and you're supposed to bring us out. Everybody's like, here I am again in a role I didn't sign up for. But it's like, it's none of what people thought. And then he realizes that it's something that they sold then. They sold them because Steve was talking about how they maintain power, you know, different kind of stuff. Because the Necromongers definitely, their approach was like the board, except they asked politely, will you let us assimilate you or we'll kill you? No, makes you know. me think of uh, makes me think of Dune again because you know there's this whole thing about the prophecy of the Furian who would take down the Lord Marshal. Mm -hmm. But when you think about Dune, all of this stuff is set up by the Bene Gesserit, and yet it comes to be. So, is it prophecy or is it just the long game? There's another twist I would have added in was number one, I would have made the creatures from Pitch Black the Bioraptors. Mm -hmm. I would have made Underverse their origin place <laughs> and i would have been able to uh, make them be able to talk that's interesting so when they come out here they get mute they can't talk because there's something about the uh, upperverse atmosphere that makes them lose some abilities but then we get to underverse and one of them turn around and says riddick we've been waiting on you holy cow that would be the opening scene everybody would freak out okay go ahead steve ending <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't. I was. I would not have been satisfied with Riddick dying here. I, I just feel like, I, I, as much as I may think that, yeah, he kind of lost a couple of steps, you know, for whatever reason. I this was not the natural ending point. Riddick is a man of destiny. He has been prophesy, uh, prophesized uh, to kill the Marshal and take over the Endeavor, take over the Necromongers. Why? What was his purpose? to be there. What is he destined to do, you know, sitting atop the throne? Okay. So we never got to see that. Plus there is an unanswered grievance, which is Vako set him up. We want to see Reddick get out of this situation mm -hmm. and, and make sure that Vako pays for his betrayal. We want to see that happen. We start to see it a little bit in the epilogue in the um, unrated uh, director's cut version. Uh, where we where we see that where we see that guy that that uh, uh, nude I think or, or whatever his name was um, we we finally get to see him go under, but we don't see what what happened to Vako. Okay, he's already he's already in the underverse. Yeah. yeah, right, right, right. He ends up at the end, right? So yeah, so we need to see that, and without without that conclusion, without the you know seeing Fury again, without seeing what Riddick was meant to do as a being of destiny. Um, I feel like, you know, killing him would basically cheat the audience of a resolution. So here I'm saying, okay, yeah, for the purposes of this little microcosm of a story, you know, him dying, okay, maybe. But in the larger mythos, because, again, we can't separate ourselves from the larger mythos because it is too epic, it mm -hmm. is too grand, it is too vast, and it is too interesting. You can't separate yourself from that. As much as this movie tries, it does this. So here I am saying, in the grander macro view of the Riddick verse, <coughs> him dying here would be a cheat. 
you know, you're, you're not really seeing where this mythos is going and there's no proper resolution because he doesn't do what he is destined to do. He doesn't do what the story expects him to do, which is, you know, when you are wronged in such a way, the story is about, you know, getting past that, that point, you know, building yourself back up, getting off of the planet and then going and find Vako and sticking a knife in his eye. Okay. <laughs> you know, you're not going to get resolution until that happens. You know, because this is what the this is what we are expected to believe as an audience, and because we're not being given that as an audience, the, any kind of ending that ends up with Riddick ending up dead on this planet is incomplete, and the and the story is 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 not what it should be. So yeah, I I have to say that this is again where the patchwork uh, decision to make this pitch black too really works against it, um, because you can't even kill him properly. You know, because here you are thinking, okay, what about the Necromongers? It's just, yeah, it's just in any way that you ended up, it's insufficient. And and because of that, this this uh, the only thing that this movie can be is a filler episode in an otherwise grand saga. Hmm. Ouch. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um Again, it, it just it just feels like what Lucas did with Empire because it wasn't mainly him, right? But but uh, Star Wars was about the conflict. Empire made it be about the Skywalkers, but something about that became so compelling it changed everything after that. Yeah, it would be like doing Return of the Jedi and only doing Jabba, and then uh, Luke dying like right at the end, and then uh, you never face Vader or the Emperor. That's what it would huh. be like. Oh, you mean like the last Jedi? But I digress. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay go ahead. Then. All right. <laughs> um, before I get to the ending, real quick on uh, the epilogue, um, I am not entirely convinced that Vako sold Riddick out. In fact, sometimes I play around with the idea that Vako told him the truth because Vako is furious. Huh. Hmm. Chew on that one first. They they did kind of hint at the idea that maybe Vako told the truth, but was it the truth from a certain point of view? Yeah. And where he's lying with the truth? We don't know. We I, don't I, know I, that. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to know that. That said, it's going to be no surprise to everybody. I love this ending. I absolutely love it. And here's why. First of all, to, to Ebert's review. Ebert said that the, the director didn't have the, the guts or to take on the fans or whatever else. Well, it depends on what you want to do with Johns. All of this depends on Johns. If you want Papa Johns to be kind of guy where little Johns is the apple that doesn't fall too far from the tree, then go ahead and kill Riddick. That's fine because Johns sells him out. But if you want Johns to be a redeeming character to complete an arc, and I'm going to talk about that arc in a second, you have the ending happen just the way it was. So let's wind all the way back to the beginning of the movie. Riddick takes a fall because Riddick's become civilized. I love the storyline. I love the storyline because it's true. It happens, especially to people who are, I mean, it's going to sound overblown, but I'm going to use the word anyway, warriors. People, you know, once upon a time, I was a hard man that did hard things. Then I got married, and I lost a little bit of that edge. Then I had a son. I lost a little bit more of that edge. Then I had two daughters that I started doing tea time with and everything else and playing dolls and dress up. I lost even more of that edge. Mm -hmm. Did that make me less of a person? Did that make me weaker? No. 
but that I still have the same edge I had before when I was a lone wolf and had nobody? Hell no. Hell no. Completely different person. That happens to every man, no matter what profession you're in. You change as you get older. You change as people become dependent on you. The lone wolf, 19-year-old, has a completely different edge than the 50-year-old man who has matured into something different. Why do I say that? Well, Riddick had a little bit of this, a little taste of this from the Necromongers. Is Riddick ever going to be the guy who's sitting at home smoking a pipe with his feet up and his slippers with his little girls playing dress up? No. But even that little bit of change is going to take enough off the edge of Riddick that I think that it's believable that he could let his guard down or something like that. So let's rewind even further back. Pitch Black. Uh, Fry dies. And Riddick says, not for me, not for me. He doesn't want to be tied to anybody. He doesn't want that little bit of edge, that little bit of humanity in his soul, that connection that can weaken the lone wolf warrior. He's changed. Fry's sacrifice changed him. Jack's death changed him. The little girl in Chronicles of Riddick changed him. He's a different man, whether he wants to admit it or not. Now let's fast forward all the way to the end. Riddick, at the beginning of Pitch Black, he leaves Jones. He goes alone, and he gets back to the ship with one of those nodes. He doesn't even pick Johns up when Johns crashes his bike because Batista knocked him off. He says, screw that guy. One less guy I got to deal with, you know? Riddick has a heart, whether he wants to admit it or not. Riddick has a soul. Riddick is connected to humanity. Well, in doing that, in partnering with Johns, he has made himself vulnerable. And in the fight, when John, he's got John's back, he gets stabbed, and then John's leaves him. So now that leaves you with the question that I would give the Ebert. What message do you want to send here? Do you want to send a message that that connection that he had, that reconnection with humanity is a weakness, and that the apple didn't fall far from the tree, that John's and little John's are the same person, and that Riggs going to die because of his weakness of connecting with people? Are you going to show that his faith, his ability to connect with humanity was re was rewarded, that it paid off, that Johns came back for him. That's a pretty powerful story right there. Yeah. That's a pretty powerful piece of storytelling. And I think it's, it is really great in looking at the evolution of this character and paying off the idea that, yeah, Riddick lost a little something in that edge, that ultimate warrior type thing, you know, mystique that he had he may have lost a little something but you know what he's gained something as well he's gained the loyalty of three people that he never would have had before i mean as much as we're making fun of it you know and i don't believe that dolls want, wants him balls deep in her at all i don't think that makes any sense but i think doll respects him now i think johns might come to his aid if push came to shove and i think that luna kid would do you know would help him out so he's got the respect of those three people. He's becoming a part of a group of people, whether he wants to or not. And is he ever going to be a leader of men, a person who is out there putting himself out there for hundreds of people and commanding loyalty and respect from all these people? No, that's not him. But the people he does connect with, it, connect with, he's forming strong connections based on his actions and how he's interacting with them. So he's growing as a character. He's evolving before our eyes. And that's one of the reasons that I love this movie and why 
you know, it's just, I think that if they had done more of a human drama, this whole movie, the movie would have been better for it. So I love the movie, but I'll admit that I think it has some flaws, but I think it was a really cool look at Riddick and how he grew. I think everything involving Riddick and John's is, is pretty much the best part of the movie for me. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, I could definitely follow all that. Uh, uh, but once again, my, my question or my pushback on it is, you know, is that kind of arc realizing the full potential of the character? Uh, and maybe that's more writer than fan, but it's like, you know, I can relate to all those vibes because everything you said is true. Everything you said is true about how, I mean, Rocky even says it. When I first got in the ring, I didn't care if I got busted up. It was just me. Now there's me, there's you, there's the kid. I don't want to lose what we got. And he had to he had to psych himself up every time he went in the ring because he had more on the line. And that does happen to you uh, as a man, as a warrior, as a fighter. All of that is very, very true. Uh, I just don't know if... I don't know. I don't know if that's the particular arc I would have given this character, even though it is true to life. But maybe, maybe it goes back to what we said before. I want to see more of you in your heyday before we get to that version of you. So, like, you know, we went crazy when we finally saw Luke, you know, fully trained, fully a master Jedi, fully just doing almost a mirror image of the scene that his father did in Rogue One. When we see really the Luke we've been waiting umpteen of Google years to see. So whether we end up with old man Luke or not, we want to see more of that before we get there. So that's kind of kind of my reaction to what you're saying. I can follow that and that makes a lot of sense. And I'm also trying to think of I'm also trying to think of any 50 year old single men that I know if they're talking about edge, you know, if they're talking about all the stuff that they talked about when they were young. I would say that most men that are still at the edge they were when they were young men are most 50 year olds. There aren't a lot of 50 year olds that survive to be 50 if they've still got the edge they had when they were teenagers, you know? Well, uh, the I, kind I of chances you take, you know, kind of catch up with you. Yeah. You know, throwing your body out there at 19 is different than throwing it out there at 49. It's a little bit different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> So the kind yeah. of stupidity you did when you were a teenager. If you're you're still doing those kind of stupid things when you're 49, 50 years old. Yeah, good luck with that. Those, those, <laughs> guys, those guys go from being cool to ending up being pretty insufferable. Yeah. And well, eventually they ended up in a wheelchair. Bus at, at age of 49 to 50. Yeah. True. Yeah. So I, I, I was jumping off bridges at, at 19, you know. So <laughs> So, yeah, so I'm saying if, if we're going to go that way, I'm still going back to Steve's point that, that this was a reshuffle. This was not the original plan, and this was where we need to put this together because Chronicles didn't do what we thought. I think that's 100% straight down the middle spot off. So, but I'm saying if we're going to go that way, then I want to see the Luke at the end of Mandalorian version of Riddick more before we get to... You know, I've I've lived my life. I've done my shot. I'm not that guy anymore. I want to see more of that guy before you decide not to be him anymore. You know, it would be an interesting way to give us that. Um, and if David Tui is watching this, thank you for watching. And please take this <laughs> suggestion. Uh, when Riddick goes into the Underverse, 
give us a montage flashback scene and have us see scenes from Pitch Black for Conker's Riddick, but also shoot some new footage from way back in the day of him just slaughtering people, which led to his reputation. You know, this is why I'm in favor of an animated series because Vin Diesel's a, a decent voice actor. He could absolutely kill it as Riddick in voice. And and there's no reason why you can't show that stuff um, in an animated form. Yeah. That's so why I, I think that Logan went over so well as a film because hmm. we've had plenty of Wolverine being Wolverine. So that makes it a little, more, a little bit more interesting to see him actually come to his end or end because that doesn't happen in the comics. But that's why I think that worked. But if if Underverse truly is transitioning to the, you know, for better or worse, the afterlife, mm -hmm. the idea of the, your life flashing before your eyes as you're going through the portal to the Underverse makes a whole lot of sense to me. So, so it might be uh, if my theory holds true, this uh, it's all tied into black holes. Underverse might not even be death as we know it. Yeah. So there's a whole thing there, and I don't expect to see Riddick as the leader of a people per se, but man, he'd make one heck of a war chief for a brief period. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's a lot of stuff he could do, yeah. And war see, chief of the Furians. I'll just, I'll exactly, just like this uprising and like smash the necromongers or whatever the next threat's going to be. <laughs> well, I'll just throw this out uh, before we wrap up, and that is that and listen to you guys talk, especially Nemesis uh, just last... Uh, part right there, this to me is how I feel when I think about Locutus. Huh. Locutus came and went so fast and they teased in Picard that he might come back, but he didn't. Everything we've seen after Locutus was a Borg recognizing Picard and maybe Picard switching into Locutus mode or saying he was or whatever, but we never really got to see Locutus in his heyday, even if that was just six days or two weeks or however long, it was actually Locutus and the Battle of Wolf 359, and we see Cisco and the impact on Cisco. But I'm saying there has to be some moments in there where somebody in Starfleet says, you mean to say the captain of the flagship has been assimilated by the Borg, really? Now, I know they did some stuff like that in the books, but I'm talking about visually seeing it in a form. And all of a sudden, see, because what does that do? See, that's why Nick Fury formed the Avengers. Mm -hmm. Because Asgard showed us what it can do. It got involved on Earth, and all of a sudden, we're like, holy cow. This is what the store guy is bringing. This is what we're dealing with. So Fury had a response. And then also, that's what Redford used with Hydra to justify the, uh, the helicarrier. It's, I forgot what we call them, the Project Insight. So I'm saying, just like somebody in Starfleet would have said, wait just a minute. Protocols would have shifted. They probably would have approved the phase cloak, emergency powers like with Palpatine. If the captain of the flagship, everything he knows, they know. That's what I mean. We never got the full realization of that idea. Mm. That's what this feels like to me with Riddick. And that if we're gonna gonna bring him to that kind of conclusion, we you know, what are the Furians? Uh, is the stuff that he can do? Was this stuff that all Furians can do? Because we've seen, you know, different versions of them. And what kind of planet is it really? And like you said, where did he get that reputation of being that killer? We need to see that. We need to see that Wolverine Berserker rage and something. So I'm saying I just need more before the end. I just need more before you're 50 and you're a nice guy now. And, you know, I'm not the dude I used to be. And I'm okay with that, you know. Uh, 
I don't know. It was just too much of a a character shift and a time jump. It feels like the decades of his life were compressed to get to this film. See what I mean? So, all right. So yeah. So lots of good ideas. And as usual, we switch back and forth between fan hats and writer uh, hats. And also, I want to echo Steve's point. You must watch the director's cut. You must see. The deleted scenes you must, and uh, like Bracey always says, you must consume as much uh, extra or supplemental or tangential material as you can, because it expands the world even more, mm. and and it's it's it puts a different feel on the movie. And actually, the one scene at the end that's cut out when he goes back to Helion Prime, it's kind of an acknowledgement that we can't totally get away from the necromancer. It's too big of an idea, too big of a story world. We can't. Just ignore that. So I underscore those two points wholeheartedly that you should consume as much of that extra material as possible. And remember, we didn't have any problem doing that with Star Wars. Mm -hmm. we, you know, we ate up every book. I remember when Splinter of the Mind's Eye came out. I remember when the Zom books first came out. I'm like, that kept the franchise alive. I don't care what anybody says. I still so, want a movie of Splinter of the Mind's Eye. So that's right. So, but see, the point I'm making is that we have a world that rich in this series. We have a world where we can do all that side stuff. There could be like a Mandalorian in the Riddick world. That's what I'm saying. That's how deep this world is. And so we are chomping at the bit. We are hungry. We want more in all directions. Okay. And that's how you know as a writer you've scored big. The thing is, do you know how to capitalize on that? Do you know how to give your audience more of what they want? Do you have your 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 yourself attuned to the pulse on the ground enough to know that? Enough to know that. And that's what I would be hoping would happen because Alien still hasn't gotten right either. We're still reeling over colonial marines. We're still like, really, y'all? Really? Really? Mm. So, you know, they got it a little bit right in isolation. But that world, that world is huge. That world is huge. It's bigger than Ripley. We love Ripley, but it's bigger than her. This world now is bigger than Riddick. But we want both. We want more adventures of Riddick in his prime and the Necromongers and everything else that comes along with it. So, so we should all create worlds like that. We're, we're doing the best we can. So we're going to call it right there. I want to thank each one of my co-hosts for incredible discussion as well. Uh, just stuff that just challenges how we see things and challenges us as writers. So thank you so much, Nemesis. Oh, yeah. This is a great discussion. I loved every second of it. And, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Give us more. Give us more video games. Give us comic books, uh, movies, uh, books. Give me a video game called The Furian Campaign about the fall of Furia or a book or a comic book, something. You know, just bring it on. Like you said, I think this is a gold mine. And I am really surprised that no one has tapped it. Oh, man. The Fall of Fury. Oh, man. What if it's like fascism? Oh, man. Okay. Sorry, you got the brain to cook it. Thank you so much, Steve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This has been a really fascinating discussion. And it's because this world is so fascinating, because the character of Riddick is so fascinating. You know, all, all the world building that Tui did, is extraordinary. I mean, even in the movies we don't like as much, even in the movie we don't like as much, there's things that are brilliant in them and we want to see more of them. 
And this is why uh, we need to see a Riddick expanded universe. You know, we need to see, you know, all these other media. I want to see that animated series. I mean, because there's just so much potential in it and we just want to see it grow the way that this deserves and which up till this point hasn't had the opportunity to. And I keep hoping that, that, that these Riddick 4 uh, rumors are really happening, that this is what Riddick's going to, that this is what Vin Diesel's going to do after Fast 9. I keep hoping, hoping that Riddick will get the resolution he deserves at the least because this franchise is so big and it is bigger than anything really that, that we talked about or any of the people involved in it. There is just so much there and we want to see it get the closure that it needs. What if the Furians were like the ancient Egyptians and they tried to do the necromonger thing first? What and if they, they created the necromongers? Oh, oh I've, got, I've actually got an idea them. of what they might be like. And they tried it and then it didn't work and the necromongers picked it up and did it better. And that's what why if, they're, they're running all over the galaxy. What hmm. if the necromongers were a slave state? That were, mm -hmm. you know, they're undead uh, slaves or something like that. Yeah. That they conquered. There's so mm -hmm. many things you could do. So many things. Go ahead, Bracey. Yeah, like everybody else, I, have, I of course, want to see more. I want to see an expanded universe. I think, and this is just my own suspicion, I think we haven't seen all this because I think David Tui, uh wants to be very personally involved with everything that happens with this series. And uh, maybe Vin Diesel also has some personal equity in it as well. And maybe this is why it hasn't been released to other authors to play with. So I, I can't confirm this because I haven't looked at how the games were developed. Uh, but I can't help but think that he was very directly involved in that. It, it feels like the Pitch Black movies. It feels like the Riddick movies. It, it has his stamp all over it. It's, it's just like when you see uh, you know, a movie that's not J.J. Uh, uh, Abrams, but it's J.J. Abrams produced or produced by certain guys. <laughs> You feel their stamp. You feel a Spielberg movie, even if he's not the one actually directing it. So I think that might be the issue here. As far as what Furia might have been, I would like to point everybody uh, to an old sci-fi series called Andromeda, starring Kevin Sorbo. Hmm. And they had a race of humans called the Nietzscheans. And they lived in pride. And their whole ideal was survival of the fittest. And if you were the biggest, the baddest, the strongest, you were the leader. Go back and watch that series, and I'm thinking that's what the structure of Furia might have been like. Hmm. 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 And they ended up, in their world, they ended up dominating the galaxy because they were just the baddest. They were, they were like Klingons on steroids in their own way. Like they evolved, the evolved to be superhuman predators. Like, like the, the Krogan in Mass Effect. Yeah, I mean, because they, they look like humans... Uh, they just have like extra spines in their elbows, but other than that, they're they're thinking back on it, they remind me of Furians because they're just so much better than the average humanoid. Hmm. I just looked up uh, Escape from Butcher Bay. David Tui wasn't a writer, but he was involved, so he was a resource for the writers on that. Okay. Game. All right. As long All as right, he's got man. that Kevin Feige kind of role, it'll be great. We're going to leave it there. Uh, our next and final review will be uh, some of the animated stuff. We're probably going to throw in, I'm going to definitely let Bracey throw in some stuff about the games too. So we're going to talk about the extra content that does already exist in this world and what that looks like. And I uh, also want to thank everybody for, uh, for joining us. We'll uh, be here same time next week to finish this review of the Riddick series. 
So uh, this probably be posting on the weekend. So you hope, I hope you have a really good holiday. Hope you're really safe uh, and enjoying the 4th of July. And uh, let's just be grateful that we are still in a place at a time where we can create and enjoy all this good content because we know that's not true worldwide. So let's think about what we have to be grateful for this weekend. And we have two ex-military on our panel and the people that have put their lives on the line to, to give us just the opportunity to have that kind of life. All right. That's it for this episode. And we'll see you next time on the next episode of Sloppy Spoilers. 